that we're having that today. Uh, personal testimony starts today. And uh, so there's still a sign-up sheet out there in the foyer. So for those of you who haven't signed up, please sign in. Sign in on those, and uh, we'll get you coming up here after a little bit, after a couple weeks or so. Operation Christmas, before Pastor Larry comes up, um, just to give you a little bit, um, everybody's not going to like your testimony. That's the first thing you need to know. Everybody's not going to get excited about your testimony. The only one that needs to be excited about your testimony is you. Okay? So don't worry about trying to make your testimony better than somebody else's testimony. That's, that's not testifying. That's kind of test line. So we want to get away from that. All we do in the salvation testimony is connect your story with his story. As simple as that. So I'm going to give you my testimony. My testimony basically is maybe something I would use if I knock on somebody's door. They come to the door, can I share my testimony with you? Somebody in the supermarket, can I share my testimony with you? Something that we should have in our heart. I know people have been writing it down, but that's a good way to memorize it. Something that, 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 that's dear to your heart, your salvation story. So mine is this. I was practically born in the church, uh, went to church every Sunday. My, my grandfather was a pastor for 44 years, went to church every Sunday. But either nobody told me or I didn't hear that I needed to have a relationship with God. So I grew up and, and uh, I started thinking, you know, if this, if this Jesus thing is really real, then what I'll do is I'll just straddle the fence. And if Jesus comes back, like everybody says, I'll just jump down on the good side. <laughs> but I realized later that there is no fence. Either you're in or you're out. So quite naturally, I was going to church every Sunday, but on Friday, Saturday night, I was out in the world doing my thing because in my mind I was straddling the fence. And I always thought I was pretty intelligent. Problems would come. You know, I could figure out how to work them out some kind of way. But when I got into my 30s, I started having problems that I couldn't figure out. Problems that were caused by me. So one night in my 30s, before I went to bed, I got on my knees. And I remember the prayer like it was yesterday. I said, Lord, I done heard about you all my life. But I don't even know if you're really up there. But if you're up there, I need you to come into my heart and change me. And I stood there, sat there for a minute, because I didn't know whether I was going to get struck by lightning or what. I really didn't know. But something happened, and I didn't realize it till about a month and a half later. Because that very night, I picked up the Bible. And for the first time in my life, it made sense to me. And I read it, and I read it for a month and a half, and finally the light came on. Lord, you answered me. And I've been reading it ever since, and my life has never been the same. So 
So now I read God's word. I try to do words, do God's word to the best of my ability. And that's what I do. And that's how I develop my relationship by inviting him into my life, asking him to be my Lord and Savior, and striving to do the things that he's commanded me to do. And I'm done. Pastor Larry. Amen. What a beautiful testimony, huh? Amen, Greg. Asking God to come in and change you. Simple as that. Wow. Wow. Good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody today. And uh, so great to have you. Welcome to all our guests that are here. We have family members, Chris and I, with us today. And uh, others that are here today. And so um, great to be with you. As we're getting ready for... Coming up on Thanksgiving and coming up on Christmas season, huh? Anybody here? Anybody here done any Christmas shopping yet? Okay, couple, couple, couple. All right, good, good, good. Yes, my wife kind of, I went with my wife yesterday. We went with some friends in Turlock, and she kind of gave me the hint what kind of jewelry she liked over there. <laughs> so I did my Christmas shopping. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, you know, they tell us, newscasters tell us, if you, haven't, uh, if you haven't done your Christmas shopping yet, this is the time, if not earlier, especially if it's going to be shipped overseas or from overseas, because you might have about heard it on in the news that outside the coast of California, there's anchored a record backup. Uh, a number of boats are anchored. They have been anchored. And uh, they've been out there waiting to uh, unload their cargo uh, why? Why? Well, they say it's because of uh, a holiday surge buying, uh, a, a labor shortage, and uh, because of COVID-related issues. So that cargo has been out there a long time. Now, that reminds me another story about a cargo that was out in the sea in a long time. This, this happened, this is a cargo of codfish, <laughs> okay? Uh, a cargo of cod, back in the 1800s. Uh, codfish, when uh, to, 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 to be shipped from the East Coast to the West Coast, from Boston to San Francisco, they, uh, they had to go around the continent of South America. So what they did when they, when they first tried, started doing this, is they would dress the cod in Boston, they would uh, pack it with ice, and send it around uh, the continent. It was about a two-month trip, so you can imagine time it got to San Francisco, it wasn't exactly, uh, yeah, <laughs> not exactly fresh. Uh, it wasn't actually fit for consumption, and the aroma, well, let's just say it uh, wasn't the pleasant kind. <laughs> okay, so they tried something else. They, they put it in uh, tanks of water so it would be live, and they sent it around again. They said, well, they, but the problem here is that the codfish had no exercise. They're just kind of laying in the water there. So by the time two months later got to San Francisco, it was kind of pasty and it just really didn't have any taste to it. And then someone came up with an interesting idea. They said, why don't, why don't we put some catfish 
in with the codfish. Why? Well, you see, catfish and codfish are natural enemies. Okay? So when you, they dropped a couple catfish in with the codfish, uh, the codfish had to stay alert, right? And they were swimming around the whole time. So the time they got to San Francisco, perfect. <laughs> they were perfect. They were perfect. They were just what they needed. They needed that. Uh, something to keep them awake, something to keep them alert, their natural opposition. Now, in the church, <coughs> we have natural opposition. We have opposition. We have a natural enemy as well, don't we? We have an enemy called sin and Satan. Now, sometimes we, that enemy or that opposition comes from outside the church. Sometimes, as we, you know, sometimes it comes from the inside. Now, Paul, we're going to be reading here in just a moment from Colossians uh, chapter 2. Paul was writing to the church <clears throat> because there was some infiltration into the church. Some false teachers had come inside, were inside the church trying to spread some uh, counterfeit gospel. So Paul was con you know, writing to <clears throat> praise the church for standing up, you know, standing up for their in their faith and not being deluded by those that would, you know, as they face those that would uh, lead them astray. Because these were catfish among the cod, right? You know, they were trying to, um, you know, uh, they were counterfeit Christians controlled by the enemy, trying to deceive and delude the gospel, make it something more uh, other than what Christ and uh, Christ made it to be. So, as we read, as we get ready to read now, we're going to read from Colossians chapter 2, verses 8, uh, 1 through 8. So, if you have a Bible, and if you are able and willing, if you could stand with me for the reading of God's Word, we'll pick it up from there, okay? Colossians 2, verses 1 through 8. <clears throat> and it says this, I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. This is Paul writing. And for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not met me yet personally, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, I tell you this so no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ as Lord, Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. See that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. You may be seated. <coughs> Paul was writing to encourage them, to encourage them to stay strong in Christ, and the Word of God encourages you and me to do the same. 
If you have an outline, if you have a bulletin, you'll find an outline in the back there. And the theme is this. The Bible is encouraging us to stay strong in Christ. Stay strong in Christ. Stay strong in Christ. Stay firm in the faith. Stay firm in the faith. Stay firm in your devotion, your pure and simple devotion of Jesus Christ. Stay firm in your worship of him as the all-sufficient Lord and Savior. Nothing else is necessary for your salvation. Jesus alone and faith in him alone. Faith in Christ alone is all that is required. Now, Paul was concerned about this distorted gospel that was going on in, uh, in Colossae from these uh, you know, counterfeit Christians. And so he was wrestling in prayer for the church. In verse 1, he tells us this. He says this, verse 1. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you. Now, that word struggling, he's talking about his prayer. That word struggling is the, the original word agon in the Greek, agon. It's the same word we get our word agonize. Okay? Agonize. Agon had to do with striving. Like, like an athlete would be in the Greek games of, of running or boxing or wrestling, to agonizing to assure a victory. This is the kind of prayer Paul was praying for the church, that they would hold on to the original gospel, that they would not allow it to be distorted, and that they would live the gospel in their lives. We're going to look at three necessities, three necessities uh, to stay strong in Christ, okay, this morning. And the first is this, to be strong in Christ, be united, that's number one in your outline, be united in Christ, okay, united. Paul, in other words, let's read verse two, he says this, he says, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, okay, to be united. Paul uh, was, knew, the, understood the importance of unity. There is strength in unity. There is support in unity. There is encouragement in unity. One medical doctor says it this way. It, 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 you, encouragement, the encouragement that comes from unity, encouragement is so vital for our existence, our very existence, that he, he calls encouragement oxygen for the soul. You know, just like you need to be able to breathe well, and some of us are having a little hard time this time of year, uh, breathe well uh, to, to remain healthy and strong. Uh, you need to have a plenty of oxygen for you to be physically healthy and strong. Well, you need encouragement for your soul to be healthy and strong. Amen? You, you need that encouragement. And encouragement comes from unity, unity in the fellowship of believers. Be strong in Christ, united in Christ, united in unity, united in his body. Verse 5, Paul talk, talks about the church, the body of Christ, and, and, and how delighted he is to see their orderliness, their organi how they're organized. Look at this, verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are. And how firm your faith is in Jesus Christ. You see, 
although he, could, he, he couldn't be with them in his physical body, he knew he was one with them in the spiritual body. Because they were all one in Christ. And he delighted in the fact that they were so orderly. Now that word orderly was an army term. It was an army term. It, it had to do with rank and order, an arrangement of rank and order, like an army. You know, the church should be like an army, with everyone in their appointed positions, appointed by the Lord, uh, ready and willing and waiting for the word of command, with Christ as a commander. There's, there, there's to be order in the church. Because we do have a battle. We are the army of God. Amen? We do have a battle. We have a spiritual battle. Uh, we have a battle against Satan. We have a battle against the enemy. And everyone has a place to play. Everyone has a part. Jesus is the head. We are the body. You know, sometimes, sometimes you'll hear uh, uh, the, uh, the statement that uh, people, someone doesn't want to be involved in organized religion. And I can understand uh, I'll get, hear me out now. Organized religion. Now, the thing is this. If you think about it, for anything to be strong and healthy, it needs to be organized. The opposite of order and organization is chaos and destruction. Uh, the body of Christ is organized with Christ as the head. You know, Apostle Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 14, 40, he's talking about the church, and he says it this way, that all things be done decently and in what? Order. There's got to be an order. There's got to be an order. Okay? Jesus is the head. We are the body. Every part of the body represents a person. And every person, all the various persons have various gifts. So the different parts of the body, whatever they may be, represents the different gifts of the body, with Christ as the head, all the parts work in unison. Okay? With the organization, Paul is saying, I'm, I delight to see your organization, your order. Now, the thing is, when, 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 when some might think that they don't, you know, organize religion, they're thinking about, you know, religion of rules and regulations, but not much else. No, no real spirituality. But God has designed the church to be spiritual. It's the spiritual body of Christ. With Jesus Christ as a head, it's a team. It's like a team. Now, I don't know how many sports fans. We've got some sports fans out here. My wife has scheduled every Sunday, 49ers, what time they're playing. That's my team, right? Okay. Any 49ers fans out here? All right, there you go. All right, thank you. Guys. Sorry, Raiders fans, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? Think about it. Think about it. If the 49ers went out on the field, okay, and they weren't organized, okay, they didn't know who was going to play what part. Maybe the, the, who, who's going to supposed to hike the ball? Where are they supposed to hike it? Who's going to run? Who's supposed to hide? Who's supposed to block? Who's supposed to pass? Who's supposed to catch? They wouldn't win very many games, amen? The, you know, the, the church is designed as a team. To be organized with Jesus Christ as a head coach, huh? Jesus is calling the plays. Jesus. It's his team. It's his body. So we're to be united in Christ as a body of Christ. And in verse 2, we're to be united 
in his love. He says it this way. That they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now, in the New American Standard Bible, which I think uh, Brother Greg likes, and I like it too, it gives a, a, a more literal translation. It says this. Having been knit together in love. See the picture? Now, now Jesus is doing the knitting. Every time you do a, a, a help, an act of love for somebody in the body, uh, you help someone with an act of love. Jesus, that, 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 that's a thread that Jesus uses to knit us together. You might want to write a card uh, to someone, a card of thanksgiving, a card of encouragement. Uh, you might want to talk to some, take time to talk to somebody, give them some encouragement. Whatever it might be, you know, I've, I've had many, and my wife Cass, we've had many conversations, uh, encouraging conversations here at Calvary Baptist Church. Um, you know, and, and talking about cards, I mean, we, we, we my wife and I wanna, are so blessed, we've got about, we've got about three cards from the, for the Koinonia, Koinonia group, and we've been so blessed when we got them, uh, cards of encouragement, cards, uh, you know, just, and, and, and. Cynthia, I got a chance to talk with Cynthia today. She tells me that's a ministry of your Wednesday morning coin in your group. Sending cards. We miss you cards, care cards, birthday cards. And by the way, I want to thank Bonnie. Is Bonnie here today? No. Okay. Well, I want to thank Bonnie. She sent me a beautiful birthday card last month on behalf of the, on behalf of the group. And, uh, you know, and, and Cynthia tells me Bonnie is in charge. She leads that ministry. And that is so great. That's such a wonderful, wonderful ministry. A way of sharing the love of Christ. You know, here's the thing. When you do those things, when you send a card, when you encourage someone in conversation, when you pray for each other, that's another stitch and thread Jesus uses by his spirit to knit you together in love. To knit you together in love. We're, we're to be united. United together in love. You know, people want to see that. People want to see. Jesus himself said, people are going to know if you're my disciples. How so? John 13, 35. By this, they will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love. Now, there's a survey done by George Barna. He's, uh, he's done many surveys in the Christian community. And he, and, he, and he came up with a list of ten things that he found in the survey. What people are looking for in church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read you just the top four, okay? The top four things that, that people are looking for when they go into church. And this all relates to what we're just talking about now. Here's what they are. He says, number one, what they're looking for is the theological beliefs and doctrines of the church. Number two. What people are looking for when in a church is to see uh, if the people seem to care about each other. Number three, they, they want to know about the quality of the sermons preached. And number four, they want to know how friendly the people are in the church to visitors. Isn't that interesting? Two of the top four reasons people uh, what they're looking for in the church have to do with friendliness, caring, and love. Boy, isn't that, a, isn't that an encouragement for us to you know, we have a visitor, you know, grab hold of them. Well, you don't have to grab too hard, but <laughs> let them know you love them. Huh? Very, very important, isn't it? To show the love of Christ, to be bound together, united 
in love. Because as somebody once said, without love, there's no real church. Huh? It can also be said, without love, there's no real strength. Huh? Because strength is in, our, in the love uh, of Christ that flows through us. So stay strong in Christ, in his body. That's the first necessity. Stay strong, united in Christ, in his body, in his love. Be united. And second, second, the second necessity for being strong in Christ is to be enriched. To be enriched in Jesus Christ. To be made rich. Okay? Verse 2 and 3, Paul says it this way. He says, he says, my purpose, okay, he goes on to say it this, this way, that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may, they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden the treasure and the wisdom of knowledge, and knowledge. He's talking about riches. Why is he talking about riches? Because Paul is answering the false teachers, the false teachers in the church. I remember I told you there were counterfeits in there. They were talking, they were, they were called Gnostics. You might have heard the term. I'll talk about that in a minute. But they, they, they said, well, we have this higher knowledge than you regular Christians. We got a higher special knowledge, and we got it in this hidden and secret means. See, Gnostic comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. It means knowledge. That's the same word we get our word agnostic. Someone who's agnostic say they have no knowledge of God. See, but now Gnostics, on the other hand, they say they have all the knowledge. Okay, They say we have all the knowledge. Now, that's what Paul is addressing here. The false teaching that there's another way to gain this knowledge. He said, you know, because there is no, you know, no higher spiritual knowledge of God than to be found in Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Don't be deceived. Look at verse 4. He says it this way. I tell you this, that no one may deceive you by sound, fine sounding arguments. Or as another translation says it this way, matter of fact, New American Standard, the, by persuasive. Don't let them deceive you by persuasive arguments. You see, Satan used persuasive arguments in the Garden of Eden. Uh, he persuaded Adam and Eve to eat of the tree. What was the name of that tree? The knowledge of good and evil. So uh, Satan says this. Hey, psst, psst. you want some knowledge? You, I, I tell you what. You see that tree God told you never to eat out of, eat from, forbid you to eat from? I'll tell you what. You eat from that tree. You're going to have so much spiritual knowledge, you're going to be just like God. So he, 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 he deceived them in Eden, and they, they got knowledge all right. Oh, they got knowledge. Huh? It wasn't the knowledge that Satan promised them, but it was the knowledge of their sin and shame for disobeying the word of the Lord. It was the knowledge of judgment for rebelling against God. You see, Satan had deceived them and deluded them to be unfaithful to God and to God's word. And this is what Paul is praying for the church, that they don't do the same, that they aren't persuaded in the same way, that they stay faithful, that stay faithful to God and to his word. Don't be deceived. 
Paul is praying for them, that they be filled with the knowledge of God. The knowledge, this is a knowledge that comes not through some kind of, not through a simple, just a thought exercise. It comes from life exercise. A life exercise in obedience to God's word. A life of prayer to God. A life that pleases God. A life that bears fruit to God. Gaining the knowledge of the mystery of God in Christ. So to be enriched in him, to be enriched in his knowledge, to be enriched in his truth. Look at verse 8. He says, see that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. See, Paul says, don't let anybody take you captive. Now, the word captive has to do with being drawn away. Like you would be drawn away from someone that, y- you remember last, last time uh, we preached, last, about three weeks ago, there was a, uh, we heard on the news, my wife brought up the Christian missionaries, 17 of them in all, one from Canada, captive, captive in Haiti. Matter of fact, they're still captive. They're being ha- they were captive by a, 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 a violent gang, and they're being held for ransom. Okay, they were drawn away, and they're in, they're in, in essence, they're slaves right now to those that captured them. That's the same idea Paul is using here when he says, don't let anyone take you captive. Captive, don't let them take you captive and draw you away from the truth. Be on guard, be on guard that, that you're not taken away from the truth, but stay close to the truth and continue to listen to him him who is the truth. Who is who? Our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say? I am the way, the and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. You remember Pilate, you know, Jesus was on trial with Pilate. Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, my, my kingdom is not of this world. But, now that you mention it, <laughs> You, you, you're right. You're right, Pilate. You're right when you call me king, for this is why I was born. Uh, this is why I came into this world. John 18, verse 33 and following. He says this. To bear witness and give testimony to the truth. And then he says these very important words. He says, whoever listens to me, who is ever on the side of truth, listens to me. Who is ever on the side of truth listens to me. So that's the question. Are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to him? Are you being enriched by his word? Are you being being strengthened? Because you know what? There's a catfish. There's a catfish that wants to capture your mind. Okay? There's a catfish that wants to drag you away from from, from the truth of Christ into the error of falsehood. So, we want to be enriched, be strong, be strengthened in Christ by being enriched in Christ, in his knowledge, and in his truth. And then third, not only are we to be united in Christ, not only are we to be enriched in Christ, but third and finally, be growing in Christ. Growing, growing. Look at verse 6. So then, just as you received 
Christ Jesus as Lord. You know, being a Christian is more than just following the words of a religious leader. Being a Christian is receiving the spirit of a risen Lord. Receive, now that you receive Christ. You know, there's two ways. There's two ways to receive Jesus Christ, and I'm going to explain it to you now. When we say uh, receiving Christ, that is the first doctrinal confession of the faith. Jesus is Lord. When we talk about receiving Jesus as Lord, that's a doctrine. It's a doctrine of the risen Christ. Paul himself used that word, receive, when he gave the first and simplest statement of the gospel in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4. He says it like this. For what I received, same word, I also pass on to you that Jesus Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. He was buried, and on the third day He rose again according to the Scripture. See, now, now, that is the doctrine, the doctrine of the risen Lord, that Jesus is Lord. You've got to receive that doctrine, but Jesus as Lord is not just a doctrine to be believed, it is a person to be received. Amen? <clears throat> to be received. Receiving Jesus. What happens is, is it this. You, just like Brother Greg shared this morning when he asked the Lord to come into his life, you ask Jesus to come in, and that's what he does. He literally comes into your heart. He lives inside of you. And then you grow, you grow, you grow more. Where you're to grow more like Christ in, in Christ's likeness. Grow strong in him. And living in him. Look at, look, look at the rest of this verse, verse 6. It says, as you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, continue to live in him. Live in him. Walk, live in him. Walk in him. Walk with him. Stay on the path that he gives you and let him live through you. You know, as a witness. As a witness. And then let your life, let, let your, your life Bear witness to Christ. You know, let the life that you live match, match the, the testimony you profess. We're giving testimonies every Sunday. Let, the, the, let your witness that you give, let your life match that. Because Jesus gives you the power. He gives you the power. What does it say, John 1, 12? To all who receive him, he gives the power. The power for what? The power to become sons of God. The power to, to live right with God. The power to obey his command. Live, don't live in sin, live in him. <laughs> All right? Don't live in sin, live in him. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Many Christians, many Christians think, you know, they're going to go their own way, follow the ways of the world. I mean, it's happening all over the place. Uh, Henry Blandmeyer in his book, The Christian Mind, says it this way. The Christian mind has succumbed to the secular drift with a degree of weakness and nervelessness, uh, nervelessness unmatched in Christian history. This, okay, and so this is particularly true in, this, in the idea of, of sexual morality. Christians following the ways of the world. Here's the thing. Randy Alcorn wrote about about this subject, and he says it like this. He's a Bible teacher and author. 
He says the acceptance or endorsement of any immoral practice is ultimately an attack on the faith. More fundamentally, he says, it's an attack on God himself because what are you doing? You're turning your back on God. You're saying, God, I'm going to go my own way. Here's the thing. Someone who calls himself a Christian and lives in these types of ways is a professing Christian but a practicing atheist. Why is that, you say? Because they're living as though God does not exist, right? They're living as though, and if he does, it doesn't exist, it doesn't really matter. See, this is a contradiction to, uh, to living in Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, live in Christ. To live the ways of the world, that's a contradiction to being a Christian. So grow, uh, uh, grow in Christ by living in him. Grow in Christ by living in him. He gives you the power. He gives you the power to live in him. Not only live in him, but be built up in him. Look at verse 7. Verse 7 says it this way. Rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith. Just as you were taught, overflowing with thanksgiving. You know, there's two metaphors here being used. Uh, a metaphor of a tree rooted and built up. metaphor of a, a, a tree with its roots and a house with its foundation. And Paul is talking about Christ as the soil and we are the tree. He says, Let, he said, be rooted, talking about you. Be rooted in him. Who's him? That's Jesus. Who's Jesus? Jesus is the soil. And the soil gets its nourishment. Uh, I'm sorry, the, 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 the roots get their nourishment from the soil. They, the roots feed on the soil. You know, Bible scholar Bruce Walk talked about his wife uh, when she was in economics college, home economics. Anybody been in home economics? Yeah, I don't think they have that anymore, do they? <laughs> His wife, they had a they had a they had a test or they did a a, uh, uh, a study a test. They had two white mice, and they fed these white mice different diets just to see what would happen. Okay, and they fed the first white mouse whole milk, wheat bread, oatmeal, carrots. And fruit juices. Sounds pretty good. The second mouse, they, they, they fed coffee and donuts for breakfast. <laughs> white bread and jelly for lunch. Candy, potato chips, and Coke for supper. <laughs> amen. <laughs> All right, Casey says amen. <laughs> Just to see, just to see what was going to happen. Huh? So, here's the thing. After 10 days, uh, in about 10 days, there was a marked difference in these two mice, okay? <clears throat> one was healthy and robust down, you know, the one that ate the good stuff, not the... <laughs> he was robust, dancing around the cage, you know, and, uh, you know, healthy as, healthy as could be. The other, on the other side, was showing signs of ill health, losing its hair, becoming irritable, becoming a loner, and removed. And, and as the diet continued, the mouse laid down. It became completely listless, listless, and soon, you guessed it, it died. It died. Why? 
It was probably the potato chips. <laughs> no, why, why, why? Because it was feeding, what it was feeding on. What it was feeding on made it weak, made it irritable, made it sick, huh? What are you feeding your mind on? What are you feeding? See, what you're thinking about, what you think about is what you're feeding upon. And the Bible says it this way. If you feed your mind, if you think about, meditate on, and delight in the Word of God, you're going to be like that healthy mouse <laughs> running around the cage, right? You're also going to be like that tree. You're going to be rooted in the soil of Christ. What does it say, Psalm chapter 1? The man who uh, delights in the law of God, he thinks about the Word, delights in it, you remember it, and you, and, you, and you think about it, you're like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and in everything he does, he prospers. Thank you, Casey. So, so the point is this. Be strong in Christ. Be built up in Christ. Nourished by his word, the enrichment of his word. And then build your house, as a second metaphor, build your house on obedience to his word. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? He talked about a man who built his house on a rock. Uh, it says it this way. The wise man built his house on the rock. And the winds came. And the, the rain came. The streams rose. The wind blew. It, it blew and it beat against the house. But the house stood. Why? Because it was built upon the rock. Jesus said, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice is like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. See, Jesus is that rock. Jesus is that rock. So putting it into practice, putting it into practice, it, it, it strengthens us. Now, Paul, one final thing, one final thing about being strong in the Lord and putting his word into practice is this. It's in verse 7. It says, and overflowing, you know, Paul's talking about how to be strong in Christ, how to be, remain strong in Christ, be overflowing with what? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Be overflowing with Thanksgiving. The idea here is like a river with its banks overflowing. Okay? It's a, this Thanksgiving is a, is a present tense, so it's continual, it's habitual, something that should be done in your life at all times, what does it do? It strengthens your spiritual muscles, and it's a safeguard against spiritual delusion. To continue to give thanks, to continue to, be, to feed on his word, to give thanks. So we're talking, you, you grow in Christ by living in him and being built up in him. So, in conclusion, stay strong in Christ. Stay strong in Christ first by being united in Christ and encouraging each other with acts of love and so Christ can do another stitch and thread, knitting you together, knitting us together in his body. Stay strong in Christ, enriched in Christ, enriched in the knowledge of his word, being nourished by the riches of his word. And then finally, and don't, let, don't, don't be persuaded don't, be, don't, don't fall captive to persuasive arguments against the truth. Don't be, don't be led away from Christ. Stay close to Christ. Be listening to Christ and third and finally growing in Christ. Grow in Christ like, the, like that tree 
with your roots nourished, uh, your roots, uh, the soil, nourished in the soil of Christ, in his word. And then build your house on the rock. Don't build it on the sand. You remember what happened to the man building on the sand? You know, when he built it on the sand, you know, when the winds come and the rains come and the stream rises, what happens? It's gone. It's gone. It's dilapidated. Okay? Don't do that. You, you want to have a foundation. You want to have a foundation, a strong foundation. So when the storms come, you'll be standing too. You know, that codfish, I don't go, let's go back to that codfish. <laughs> that codfish stood strong, was strong because it knew it had an enemy. Huh? It knew it had, I better stay awake here. <laughs> you and I, amen, have an enemy. We have an enemy. And so we need to be awake and alert and motivated. Stay motivated to use the muscles, spiritual muscles he has given you. Being alert. And be strong in Christ because your enemy wants you to be spiritually weak. Christ wants you to be spiritually strong. Stay strong, fellow followers of Christ. Stay strong in the body of Christ. With Jesus as the head, we are the body. Stay strong in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, Lord, that gives us truth. We thank you for your word that strengthens us and nourishes us. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the risen Lord. And you died for our sins and rose again. And Lord, if, if there's anyone here, Lord, that hasn't yet accepted you, uh, as, as, as we've heard this morning, how you can be accepted in, the, in, in our hearts, Lord. Just help, help us to pray, help to pray this prayer right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I accept you now as my Lord and Savior. I ask you to come into me, come into my heart, come into my life, and I'll follow you. And I'll follow you, Lord, as my Savior and my King. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to prepare for the giving of our, uh, uh, for our, our Lord's Supper. And so I'm going to ask as the deacons will come forward as we begin. You know, we are one body. We are one body. And uh, Jesus is the head. And the Bible says this. Before you partake of the Lord's Supper, and I'll be coming down in just a moment, it says this in 1 Corinthians 11, examine your hearts. It says, it says, therefore, whoever eats of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup. For an for anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's talking about death. So it's important. 
it's important that we take time, and we're just going to have a few moments of silence right now to examine our hearts. And this, again, as we, as we ta- partake of the Lord's Supper, th- this is for all who, who call Jesus Lord. If you accept him as your Savior, if you, if you follow him as your Lord, you are welcome to participate. If, if, you're, if you haven't come to that place yet in life, don't feel necessary. To, you can just pass the plate. You, you, that's fine. You don't have to partake. That's fine. Uh, but this is for, for all who call upon him. If, if you're not feeling comfortable with that this morning, that's fine. But we want to take a moment and just have a silence right now before the Lord. Give you time to go to the Lord in silence in your own heart. Pray to him silently. Thank you, Jesus, for, for your love. In your name we pray. Amen and amen. We're going to prepare now for the distribution of the Lord's body and blood of Christ and Jesus said it this way before he said for I received Paul says I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me now as we partake of the elements this morning, I just want to give a just a little uh, instruction, and because uh, sometimes it can, these are these are kind of new, so some of you might not be used to this. These are uh, there's the wafer on top, and then the juice on the bottom. You can peel off the top, and you'll have the wafer there, and then peel it on it, peel it again, and then the, the juice will be underneath. And so if you, anybody's having trouble, you can just raise your hand. We'll have someone help you. Okay. Brother Greg, would you pray pray over the Lord's uh, about uh, uh, what we're about to partake? Yes, both. You can pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon the bread that represents his broken body and his son Jesus. And we ask your blessing also upon the fruit that represents the blood of Jesus that comes through uh, the body. Thank you, Lord. 